Episode 2, RV8 podcast. Um, Want to send more shout-outs. Still have no sponsors. We're still relatively early in the game. It's episode 2. <laughs> I, I'd like to thank all the people in L.A. who have helped me along, including my guest today. Get to him in a second. I'd like to thank Paulina Sidarth, Renee Moran, um, Christopher Cedeno, uh Diango Briones. You guys have been amazing this whole time. You guys have really touched my heart since I've been here, my cold, cold heart, and uh, I hope the best for you. Uh, we do have a special guest in today, and though we'll get to him, I'll just say that this has been going along smoothly. Shout out to the people at Third Wheel Podcast, Engineer Rashad, LeBron Superfan. Uh, thank you for listening. Let's get started. And here we go. and proud Detroitian? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that, that how you say it? Definitely. A Detroiter. De- a Detroiter? Yeah, yeah. Er? Detroiter, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's from Detroit, oh, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. His name is Travis Lockhart. He is one of the very, one of the more surprising friendships I've ever had. You know, we've always, like, we've almost known each other like 10 years at yeah, this it's point. Almost, it's about, about nine years going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have been, uh, I've worked with Travis a couple of times. Technically, we've co-wrote a script together. Definitely. And he is a cinephile, just like anybody else you'll see on this podcast. So, before we get to talking about the subject at hand, just introduce yourself to the people. Where you're from, well, mostly in Detroit, like, streets. You know what I mean? Like, what avenue? Oh, yeah, well, it's, it's a lot. Um, Joy Road, uh, Seven Mile, mm-hmm. um, where I grew up. Um, in the earlier years, uh, was in uh, near Dexley and Cortland. What was the film that brought you, like, that got you interested in pursuing this career? Um, that's a great question. Um, I would have to say earlier, um, around the around, say around seven, I say it was a uh, the never ending story <laughs> that really made me wanna um really fall in love with narratives. Um, I felt like my family, especially my parents, uh, could tell that uh, I was very, very uh, interested in um, film early on. They would allow me to watch certain films they wouldn't let my other siblings watch. For instance, I was 10 at the time, and I had just watched The Relic, you know, which is rated R at the time. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a monster film. God, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a horrible. <laughs> you know, what's, you know what's so fucked up is because the relic was what ninety seven. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, it was and it's like, I it, it just goes to show how old I am when when motherfuckers tell me that like oh I grew up watching the relic. I'm like damn. Like I was, I was what fifteen. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was, oh yeah. I was ten. I was ten at yeah. the time, and uh, you know it was crazy because I remember going back to school that I had seen it that weekend, that opening weekend. Um, I believe it was uh, me and my mom and my dad, and then we went to I went to school the next day, and the the tally was oh okay how many people went to go see the movies and then we had to name all the movies and then I named the relic and my my teacher at the time was like your parents let you watch that I was like yeah 
So you're watching R-rated really young. Just I, like. I really was. Um, and the, the crazy part is, is like I believe that because of me watching movies a lot as a kid, you know, um, during the times when I wasn't outside playing, I would love to just sit in front of the screen and just watch movies. So my last episode was about how black pain and, and particularly black failure was celebrated during the entirety of 90s cinema mm-hmm. and everything from... I wouldn't say from do the right thing. I wouldn't put do the right thing on the list, but like everything that really just like covered the hood in general just really made black failure into a stylized thing. And I grew up with those movies thinking that, I mean, liking a few of them, like I like boys in the hood and I, I've always defended boys in the hood because there was a positive message to it. I, I always grew up like detesting menace to society because <laughs> I'm prone to hyperbole, right? I'm always the guy who will say that that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Like I'll say that statement a lot, right? Yeah. And I was really thinking about it one day and really the dumbest shit I've ever really heard was when I was in an African-American studies class and that conversation came up, Boys in the Hood or Minister Society. I don't know how we got on it, but I remember mm-hmm. it thoroughly. And the African-American studies teacher said, I like Minister Society because it was more real. And I was just like, yo, what's more real? I liked it was more real because, you know, when you're young and you're in the hood, you're pretty much dead. And this was like a black African-American studies teacher telling me this. Mm-hmm. And when they started asking people around the class what movie they liked more, all of them said Menace to Society. And I remember thinking, like, God damn, there's not a positive, not one positive image of blackness in Menace to Society. Outside of Jada Pinkett Smith, all those characters are borderline psychopathic. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like, I feel like any especially when it comes to cinema, especially when it comes to the black male characters in particular, you and know, but people will, will jump to that conclusion to where when you, when you look at the black male, you associate him with, you know, such things as gun violence. It's the images that are portrayed of us that lead the masses to think certain things of us. And if black filmmakers are doing nothing especially during that period of time, but as portraying us like they do in Menace to Society as opposed to Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood, man, they had the whole spectrum. Like, Ricky had a ticket out, and he was going to take it. Trey had had a ticket out, and he was hesitant on taking it. Doughboy didn't really have a ticket out, but he still had a code of ethics that he was looking out for his people at the time. There's a whole decade of people of my age glorifying these films and looking at characters like O-Dog as like positive symbols of of representation. For me, it, it really it, it it's not so much the fact that we feel like O-Dog is what we should be inspiring to look up to, but it's just that that was the only person that was around. Um, you know, um, we talk about mentorship and how it's pretty much dead in the black community. Um, far as I'm concerned, um, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of young men who need guidance and leadership, 
you know, but during these times when these movies were being made, you also got to remember before this, and this is also super important, before the 90s, what did we have? We had NWA coming through. You know, we had Straight Outta Compton. And what's crazy is people talk about, oh, that's like, that's gangster rap, but when truth is conscious rap, because they were rapping about the things that they were going through. They were rapping about the things that they were around. And then you see how it inflects our films. Like, it's crazy how you'll take, you, you'll look at something like Leonardo DiCaprio's, um, what, what film was it? Catch Me If You Can. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, no matter how you want to, how you want to say it, dude was a criminal. Yeah. Dude was super criminal. Yes, he you was. Know? Without a doubt. Unquestionable. It, and did, did time, too. You know, he did. he did time. And then what, what happened? He ended up getting the job, working for the same people that locked him up. Now, what is that telling young Caucasian males, subliminally, mm-hmm. you know? Now you look at it, and you see young men then in the 80s um, who are now, like, uncles, you know, their fathers, their husbands, you know? But imagine being growing up in the 80s, and then you see on the TV screen— Oh, your life expectancy. You're not you're not gonna make it to C twenty five. You're not gonna make it to C twenty four. You're seeing that on the news. You look at it and you like, wow, okay, now Juice seems kinda fucked up now. You know, like in hindsight, it seems kinda fucked up. Like Juice was cool then, you know, it was cool then, but now you look back and it's like, no, like I don't want my shorty going through that. I don't want my daughter to be around that or experience things of that nature. Right. You know, but it's because of that. It's because we, we, we are so used to dealing with struggle. And like I said, whenever we are on the right path to doing anything legitimate and we have a discourse, you know, it, it ends up being two things. It ends up being violence and, you know, the loss of something precious, you know, it, 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 that's what, to me, that's how it always seems. Like if, if the black man is going to have any shot at being legitimate, it comes out ahead. Like is, that, you know? Do you feel that there's anything enlightening or anything that is a prime example of black excellence from that period of time? Nothing good. I understand that there are things that we have been through as a culture, as a whole, that we can look back on. Um, but the 90s really, we, we took it, I guess what we were doing, we were doing what the others were doing, like other filmmakers were doing, you know, like The Godfather, like glorifying criminals you know what i'm saying like at the end of the day that's really what it was and we were we were bent on being the best at it like so the the difference between something like goodfellas or something like godfather when it ended there wasn't an overwhelming resent maybe not i mean like and so the first godfather ends with michael becoming the boss Mm -hmm. and yes he's lost a lot but he's also gained power and in the second movie he is reflecting on the time with this family and all the losses that he's taken, but he's still a fucking king. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, in Goodfellas, I guess that was the only ending where it was just like everything was just fucked up because, you know, he's testifying against his homies and everything like that. I just don't see a lot of gangster films from, like, white people ending with the overwhelming, resounding failure of white people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. And I just... I, I I often tend to think about other cultures that we have just deliberately influenced, whether it be rock and roll, whether it be skating, whether it be 
people like Basquiat, mm-hmm. like the art world, like when people say our culture, it sounds like they're just saying the hip hop culture. And we've influenced so much more that we could have touched on in that period from black filmmakers and it just didn't happen. And like mm-hmm. all these things came in the early 2000s. I think that Basquiat film came in like 99 or something mm-hmm. like that. Jeffrey Wright playing Basquiat. Mm-hmm. I might have that really, really wrong. The year might be wrong, but it's just like, why that takes so long? I've grown so fatigued over that, that I might be judging these 90 films unfairly, maybe. And I mean, that's the reason why I wanted to talk to somebody else because it's just like that last episode, I just went off. Like I, I couldn't find anything positive, but I just wanted to see if that was my head blocking off whatever positivity could be in this period of time. Yeah. Um, like I said, uh, I feel like we did get to see a lot of talent throughout these films. Mm-hmm. I will say that. Um, I just feel like we put an emphasis so much on the violence mm-hmm. and not considering uh, what that would look like 10 years from now. Cause like right now it looks crazy. It you does. Know, like right now it looks crazy. I mean, especially when you look at how things are now socially in 2020, um, you know, the black man's image is almost everything but his, but his own. The excellence started to shine through in a way that it didn't with the nineties outside of like a handful of people. I've always said, and I mentioned Eddie Murphy a lot on this podcast and uh, the impact that he's had that nobody really recognizes, but like, that was, that was the guy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like before Denzel was the guy, Murphy was the fucking dude, and that didn't stop during the nineties. And I would say, as far as all the negative imagery that we had, comedy, yeah, we were still kind of, we were still kind of there with yeah, comedy. Yeah. Like comedy, still, we kinda, were still, they were representing. Yeah. And like you know, we never let off on that. Actually, we still, we still, yeah, we still on top when it comes. Yeah. To- like comedy is where a lot of people are widely recognized as being stars these days. Like, mm-hmm. you can have Kevin Hart do something like Ride Along and instantaneous. well, I mean, not instantaneous. He'd been in the game for a really long oh, time. Yeah. But, like, when he does Ride Along and it makes money, star. And it's really easy. There's no, oh, let's just see what the next one. Nope, that dude's a star. Chris Tucker's a star after fucking Rush Hour. Mm-hmm. Comedy has always been able to launch black talent instantaneously without oh, yeah. this gauntlet of proof. And... In 2000, well, during the 2000s, like, people started getting their just due at the moment that they should. And then in the last decade, it's like a lot of people behind the scenes, like uh, people like Ruth Carter are winning, you know, Oscars for what they do behind the scenes and everything. And then on TV, there's just a whole different thing with, like, Atlanta and things of that nature. There's so much black positivity and that brings me to a movie called Queen and Slim. Like, mm-hmm. I get what it's supposed to be, yeah. but God damn it, I just want to watch it. Like, the, uh, the news covers it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need to pay $23 to see a stylized execution of black people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I look at all the positivity from the last decade, and Black Panther really stands out mm-hmm. as the pinnacle of just how positive... It always could have been. We could have had Black Panther 10 fucking years ago and had it mean the same exact things that it means. Like, the importance of it is timeless. It's not something that had to be done now. It could have been done 
15 years ago. Am I wrong about no, that? No, no, no. You're not wrong. And the thing is, too, is that when you look at it, there are films out there. There, there are a ton of films out there where a lot of black characters don't get killed. There's no gun violence, you know, whatsoever. Are those uh, films... Are those films... See, okay, yeah, no one there, there are. People, people, they're there, but people don't watch them. Like Of the art. 90s, though? No, no, not of the 90s. Okay. But, but I'm talking now. I'm talking now, like, in recent years, there are plenty of films where black black people are portrayed in different lights. But, like I said, yet again, we don't see those movies. A lot of black people don't see those movies now. Um, because back in the 90s, all you did was crave for movies like that. You know, Set It Off was a huge film. No. You know, but again, it's still no. glorifying that that aspect of our culture that, you know, one, it's not exclusive to us. Right. You know, um, and then two, it just makes us seem like we on on a social level, we we are just so bottom, you know, and, that, and like that's the mm. thing about Jason and Leary that I, I kind of hate it, like when. Spoiler alert! If you haven't seen, it. yeah, okay. So, so I asked him uh, before we before, when we agreed to do this. I asked him to see just a random black film in the nineties and just choose, and he chose Jason's lyric. And uh, yeah, go ahead, go yeah. ahead. And it's the scene where Jason is bringing his brother's home, his brother home, and he's like, "Yeah, like the bottom. This is my world." And he's like, "This ain't no world." Mm. And he's absolutely right. It's like we we don't live in a separate reality. You know, we we live in the same social reality as other people. You know, our circumstances are different, you know, but the way in that film is portrayed is portrayed as if it's our own little world. You know, like like we're the only ones who, like who sell drugs can, and, and yeah. guns. Like and, white people can't sell yeah, drugs. Yeah, this yeah. Is... Like 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 that's and, and see that's the thing that's what killed me about it. And and it's kind of the same thing in Queen and Slim. Queen and Slim kind of does the same thing yeah. where we go from this metropolitan. Um, setting until we go into this r- rural world, and we're we're kind of like world building again. Apparently, yeah, uh, it, it, it feels like how Bakim Woodbine's character is in this ran down shack of a home with all these prostitutes everywhere, and he's the most prosperous black person in the entire film, outside of the guy who snitches out Queen and Slim to the cops and is counting his money at the end with a fucking smile on his face. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, and I and I understand that. I understand the notion that maybe the filmmakers felt that self preservation is a is a huge thing. We as a people, we we aren't we aren't moved by violence, you know. But the, but think, but see, hey. but but the films, but these films make us seem like we we that's like it. We, that, that 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 that's it. We get activated. We we've been wronged, and now. We're gonna we're activated and now you know this is how we act when it's when in fact we haven't reacted that way at all like even now it's to, it's actually actually the only thing we haven't done really if we're being honest I, if we're I, being completely honest here um so for me it's it's very detrimental to know that wow okay again we'll go back to if you were growing up in the eighties and you were a young black male and you turn on the TV. And you're being told your life expectancy. It's not going to be a good thing for you. It's not going to have a good effect on you psychologically. Do the right thing kind of had the same message of, you know, police and black people and what ends up happening to Radio Rahim 
they were anticipating that there were going to be riots for Do the Right Thing, and I was too young to know what the impact of that movie was at the time. Mm-hmm. And so Do the Right Thing, oddly, seems like so much more of a positive message than something like Queen and Slim, even though that neighborhood is destroyed, even though Mookie and Saul have that talk mm-hmm. where it's just like it's a stalemate, like nothing is solved there. Even though it ends with the Martin and Malcolm quotes that completely contradict each other, it still seemed like a positive message, like almost like a borderline hopeful one. What's the movie with QB um, Gooding Jr. and uh, man, he played the diver, the deep sea diver. Uh, uh, Men of Honor. Yes, Men of Honor. I love that film. Yeah. Love that film. Can remember it. Love the film. Mm-hmm. But it cost it cost that man everything. Sure, but he did end up winning. Yeah. He ended up winning, he ended up surviving, and he ended up being more accomplished at the end than the Robert De Niro character was. And you true, don't see that enough, a lot. True enough. So it's just like, that's just kind of where I want it to be. As far as what black cinema is going to give us in the future, I don't want us necessarily to win by default. Like, if there's a lesson to be learned in failure, or if you're playing somebody who's in real life yeah. who actually had a tragic end... Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, play that. But I'm saying these grandiose fucking, you know, the music is swelling up and Queen and Slim's bodies are jerking around from all the bullets impact. I don't need to see that fucking shit, man. Like, I I took the bus to get here. You know what I mean? Like, I paid my money. Like, I bought these Reese's Pieces (laughs) to try and enjoy this shit. And you're going to... You're going to fucking give me the choir singing the sad hymn as you play, you show the mural of Queen and Slim, like that's the fucking point? Like, I, I just can't do that anymore. We, we, are, we, we, are, we are more than uh, martyrs, you know, we, we are more than symbols, you know, of, of struggle, oh my you God. know, like we, we need to, we, we, we have uh, grown so much since then. You know, and for me, like I said, it's all about execution. It's all about what what are you trying to convey? What's your intent? You know, and the intent of that film couldn't have been good in the grand you scheme of things. Gotta get this money. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we gotta like, get this money. Listen, not only do we have to get this money, right? But and I'm just gonna go on a limb here and I'm just gonna speak for the for the filmmakers in general. We gotta make sure that when these rappers start talking about the black Bonnie and Clyde, we don't want them to say Bonnie and Clyde. One say Queen and Slim. Mm-hmm. That's the point yeah. of this movie. Market is marketable. Switch topics for a second. Uh, we lost an incredible man most oh. recently, and I have uh, I've been, admittingly, I've been dodging these interviews that keep popping up about mm-hmm. you know him, and I guess like ones going around where he's talking about kids that had cancer that he visited i'm like nah i got i got shit to do today like i can't be in the fetal position crying over this shit you know what it is i'm sorry i'm so sorry it's just that it was already heartbreaking enough to lose uh one of uh of our heroes earlier this year Mm. and that was a huge 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 blow a like hey, huge hit, like we huge loss. For those of you who don't live in LA, I'm telling you right now, to be on foot and take public transportation, to live near LA Live, to 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 see the overwhelm. It was overwhelm. Everywhere was sad. 
Like, I can't even describe how just listening to the radio in this city, whether it be a hip-hop station or a rock station, like, they were all just saying, like, hey, we're fucking devastated here. And then you got, you know, rest in peace, Kobe, on the buses. You have oh, yeah. eight He's and, everywhere. You have 8 and 24 on the bus charter, okay? You have murals on the side of car dealerships all throughout downtown, oh, yeah. restaurants all throughout Koreatown, and then Chadwick happens. He was sick for a long time, mm -hmm. and the fact that he fought it the way he did... Oh, it was beautiful. If that dude can be at stage three uh, mm -hmm. doing a sword fight with Michael B. Jordan and meeting the physicality of that role at stage three, oh, yeah. then I can do my thing. I can get through this quarantine. Oh, you yeah, know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I, can, I can fucking do anything if that dude can do that. Yeah, and it's, and it's so heartbreaking because for me, I feel like you knew if he was there, everything would be okay. You know, as far as what what he would be betraying on film because man look at this man's track record he played so many influential figures in real life he you know some of the most important people oh, of black yeah, history yeah you know and when you look at it and you take what he's done with black panther and, and you take what he's done with everything else you know it's like man damn it's just like like you you that one person you know you could be like okay i know what whatever he's gonna come out with I, it's got my support because I know what it's going to do for me. Gotcha. I know what it's going to do for me. And now it's like, wow, he's gone. Where Now, what do I do now? What do I, mean, we I mean, we still have, like, the thing, the beautiful thing about this era is that we still have so many people that can, that can run with the baton. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so, like, if this were Denzel back in 91, the conversation would be so much more grim as to who can step up and who can be the yeah. next face. But the beautiful thing from now as opposed to the 90s, and I keep bringing it back to the 90s because I feel that it was just so bleak. The thing about what we're, where we're at right now is that we have so many people. Like, people keep saying, we can't recast Black Panther, and that's another conversation. Like, we only got a couple of minutes left, yeah. but, like, that's another conversation for another day. But it's just, like, we got people that can handle this. It's not just a one and done. Black Panther is too important to just stop. So... Um, I did want to leave off uh, asking you a question. What do you hope to see from black film in the next decade? Assuming that this quarantine ends any time within the next 50, 60 years, where do you hope black film goes? Um, I hope that black film continues to become more diverse visually, um, more diverse behind the camera, more diverse in front of the camera, um, I also hope to see a lot of black filmmakers dig into our rich history and start pulling out true stories, factual stories, because we have we have a ton of people in our history have done so many things, so many things that people are not aware of. That's another thing. Like we also too. So hopefully, I feel like a lot of black filmmakers really dig deep and see see the figures that we have that have been influential to the world in general, you know. Once again, I would like to say thanks to Travis. It's always good to see him. Always good to see that he's in good spirits. 
Uh, he's soon to be off in Atlanta finding new adventures, pursuing further things in this business wherever they may take him. One of the many downsides to this pandemic for me is what it tends to be doing to my circle of friends that are here for the same reasons as me. Like People are moving back to where they came from and they have, I mean, they tend to have a peace of mind in doing so. Good for them, you know what I mean? Whatever they choose to do and whenever they choose to return is, of course, up to fate. But if I must say, it's starting to make this city feel more empty for me. <laughs> I mean, even still, I guess there's just no choice but to maintain optimism. Otherwise, I'm just going to go crazy. And, and I find that one way that it's really easy to maintain in terms of optimism is to, you know, have something you're working on, whether it be getting in shape or learning how to cook something or, you know, as with a lot of people in the city, you got to write what's in your heart or complete that passion project that you've always wanted to do. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to sound too corny, but I think the last thing that one wants to do in this city during this time is just to look back at this lockdown, quarantine, whatever fuck this is, and just think that you've wasted all that time being miserable and unproductive and just having nothing to show thanks to the people of third wheel for making things as easy as they've been during this time my name is eli thank you for listening and you've made it to the next episode